and the meditation instructions in the mornings have been speaking about simplicity, presence, relaxing into experience rather than trying to force our attention to, to be here. And the reference point, right, the object that we might take as that serves on the one hand as a kind of an object against which to train our attention, right? To come to and to come to and to come to, to settle into, to settle into. And on the other hand, like we were saying, as a mirror that that shows us you know, our habits of mind, that shows us our compulsions or contractions, our dramas, etc. So there's two things, well, there's at least two things, many, maybe more than two things happening. But there's certainly two things happening in the kind of the training aspect of a retreat, right? The, the engagement in this practice of presence and exploring experience. The first thing is the, that which we're cultivating, and cultivating steadiness of a mind, cultivating brightness of attention, cultivating the capacity to really stay. And then the other thing that's happening is all the, well, all the rest. Right? All the rest that gets in the way, all the rest that isn't that. And it's interesting that we, you know, sometimes in terms of instructions, right, the emphasis and the the kind of the dominant theme, the majority of time and uh, explanation can go on the first part, right? The cultivating and the cultivating. But the majority of the experience is often in the other part, in the, all the rest that's happening. And if a lot of the ex- explanation is going to the first part, cultivating breath, presence, grounding, etc., then all the other part can somehow easily seem like um, what, like a distraction, like a failure of our practice, like the evidence of how crazy my mind is, etc. But of course, all the other is our practice as well. And all that other that just inevitably, right? It's one, because the nature of mind is to move anyway. And two, because we've, you know, our education, formal education, but also informal, just the way we've been kind of, uh, you know, acclimatized to being human, being a more or less functional adult human, is such that we've kind of, you know, engaged in and invested in all that other stuff so much. If we're really simple with our experience, if we're simple in our relationship to ourselves, if we're simple and gentle in our relationship to life, all that other is still going on, but it, the, the simplicity and the gentleness kind of robs all of that other of much of its power. So mind still roams around in the three fields of time, past, present, future. Still some 
memory arises, pleasant memory or unpleasant memory. Still some uh, projection towards future arises, some pleasant, some hope, fantasy, excitement, uh, or some unpleasant impression of the future, worry, fear, concern, etc. Or plenty of things going on in the present. It's interesting, right? There's too much emphasis on the, the present moment. The present moment is the sacred cow of meditation. Right? How many times I've heard bad meditation instructions with some idea that one should just be in the present moment. Rubbish. Not possible, not des- desirable, and not useful to just be in the present moment. Attention has to go to the different places. It's an important part of how we make uh, sense of life. How would you ever get anywhere? You'd never leave the hall. No, it's the the important bit, the difference between being present in the midst of experience and some strange idea of just being in the present moment all the time. Being in the present moment doesn't really exist. There is no such thing as the present moment. And it gives some unhelpful sense that any time mind goes to past or goes to future, that there's something wrong with that. The more simple we are, the more gentle we are with the experience, the less problem there is with wherever the mind goes. Because we don't tend to pick up the movements of mind so much. We don't make so much drama out of them. The mind still goes there. We still remember, still plan. Still have commentary maybe arising in the present. Sound of the tractor arises. Maybe some, and then what? Maybe one loves tractors. Maybe one says, oh, a lovely tractor. Oh, a tractor. Then either you just leave it alone, enjoying tractor, or maybe you kind of get more involved. Oh, I remember the tractors of my youth. And then, you know, you (laughs) kind of spin out the whole story about tractor. Or maybe, uh, you know, unpleasantness of tractor. I notice myself a tractor, just a momentary arising of feeling responsible for the tractor. Oh, it's like it's June, right? That's when they cut the hay. The tractor's just doing the tractor job. But for a moment, I just felt responsible for the tractor. <laughs> oh, all these people have come to sit, and then there's the tractor. Oh. Look, it's, it's not my fault. And even if it was, you know, I'm still not responsible for the relationship you have to the tractor sound or the reaction you might have or not have to the tractor sound. Maybe some of you are just so busy in your own drama you haven't even noticed the sound of the (laughs) tractor. So there can be just the tractor sound. Some something in me that would like, you know, kind of loves the nature and would like to be here under a tree and then... Oh. Okay, and then maybe there's the recognition that goes with that. Well, it's not going to last forever. You know the sweetness of silence that's there just when a, you know, when the fridge is going and you don't even notice, and then fridge turns. Oh, <laughs> there'll be a moment like that with the tractor. 
Or, you know, or one can, you know, lay a whole number on the tractor. You know, somehow, as if, as if the tractor has arisen just to ruin my meditation in some way. So mind goes anyway around the three fields of time. And you know, we, it's different for different people. Some of us, we, we, most of us find we move um, more consistently to one or other of those, one of the three. Some of us get more and more often or more easily led into some pasteurizing, right? some kind of regurgitating of the past. And we may have a, a, a particular habitual flavor to that. We may be more likely to go and replay um, old dra- problems, old hurts, old stories that have been difficult in some way. And telling ourselves the story of self in line with that, oh, you know, I'm like this because of that. And, you know, maybe there's a, a sort of poor me sense in all of that. Or some might be the, notice the stronger tendency to the, go to the past, but it's more, oh, oh, nostalgia. Oh, yes, I remember. Oh, that was so lovely. And now I'm here. You know? So there's a difference, again, between just the, the memory arising, maybe sweet memory arising. Oh. And then the way when we get, if we're not simple and gentle with it, the way we get caught up in it in such a way that it, it, it colours or it devalorises. Devalorises? That's French. That's from the French. That's not English. Is it devalues. <laughs> uh, present experience. It was lovely when such and such happened. It easily becomes, oh, compared to now and giving the impression we let our attention be coloured by that memory in such a way that it gives the impression that this moment is somehow deficient or lacking and then that becomes self-fulfilling right? because one withdraws one's interest in this moment one withdraws one's care for this experience and then you're left with the story you're telling yourself about how this is deficient compared to that. And so we might see ourselves going easily to the past or going easily to the future. You know, same thing. Some of us kind of there's a kind of the attraction to anxiety and worry and telling ourselves a fearful story of how things are going to be. We might look over the you know the course of the retreat. And I was so looking forward to it. And, you know, and I booked it ages ago and I was really thinking this was going to be a good thing to do. And now I'm here and it's ridiculously hot and there's tractors and, and, there's, and there's a long way to go. And then like we were saying a little bit yesterday, you know, projecting forward and colouring the future based on the, the, the present moment's experience. We're all going to some some future experience that's completely abstracted, you know, some thing to do with my family or my work or whatever it is, and kind of you know, building up a story of what we believe will happen. And for some of us, it's very seductive. Investing in an anxious vision of the future, 
right? as if the more I invest in it, the more I'll be able to figure it out so that I can somehow avoid it coming to pass like that in that difficult way. And, you know, it's interesting being in a retreat environment where there's very little we can do. Right? We're not really in touch with the, the uh, with some of those people or family or colleagues from the rest of our life. We, all we're doing is sitting around, walking around, and hopefully drinking plenty of water. Right? Very little one can do to affect, to to affect change, to affect the wider scheme of one's life. So it's a very interesting way to see how the, the impulse, nevertheless, to go and fuss with the future in various ways. And for some of us, you know, that's the strong tendency we can see. And for others of us, you know, more a kind of uh, making a complicated relationship with the present. And commentating. No. Just can't leave it alone. It's breathing, but we have to tell ourselves all about the breath. Oh yeah, now it's coming in. Oh, now it's going out. Oh, now it's gone down there a bit. And what was it? He was hearing about the breath again. Oh yes, I'm supposed to do that. Oh dear. As if our own experience is a World Cup football match. Presumably, you don't care about the World Cup, or you wouldn't have come on a retreat right for these two weeks. But then, you know, the commentating, we're telling ourselves about the action while it's happening. Okay, now the in breath's coming in, yes. I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> and then the commentary also can be skewed pleasantly or unpleasantly. We tell ourselves a kind of um, positively charged version of what's happening to us, or we tell ourselves a negatively charged version. And I like the example with the tractor. Oh, oh, this, this, you know, this lovely tractor I remember from my, or, oh, this terrible tractor. I know that's not a very good example. There's probably not many real tractor lovers <laughs> among you, but you, know, you never know. So, while we're while we're kind of training simplicity and gentleness, while we're training presence and focus, while we're training this capacity to, to really enter into and stay with a very simple ground of experience called body sitting, body breathing, we're also inevitably and importantly and usefully engaging our habits of mind. Mm. Some of you will have heard me speak about what I, the three Vs, right? these different qualities of attention. And the Buddha speaks about vitaka, vichara, viveka in, in Pali. And so vitaka is the pointing attention, right? That's often what we're engaging with, we just, oh, and coming to the simplicity of breathing. It's likened to the, the way that her finger points. It's like, oh, it's a quality of attention that we can point and just lead our attention anywhere. Or you can, you can take your attention anywhere. Right. Attention, by its habit, will, will go, you know, wherever habit pulls it. Right. So, the attention 
there may be a trigger for attention normally, like the sound of the tractor. And then, oh, attention goes there, tractor. And then the habit maybe get involved. Maybe there's a, the habit of simplicity and gentleness. We say, oh, tractor, leave it alone. Or maybe there's, like I was describing tractorizing, then, oh, a thought around, a, a kind of, in my case, a thought of responsibility arose around the tractor. Oh, dear, the tractor. And then, like, oh, why, would, why would I want to invest in that thought, right? And then just leaving it alone. Actually kind of feeling rather friendly towards that thought. It's like, oh, there's that thought that, you know, it's a kind of ridiculous thought that wants to seduce my attention. And there's a kind of gladness or appreciation in the moment that arises that I'm able to just see that thought and leave it alone. It's actually a liberating moment. Right? The moment of seeing a habit of mind that wants to pull me in an unhelpful direction and then the capacity to not go there. To can become a great source of actually of joy in life. Same, and then and yet the same thing can happen. How easily we uh, culpabilize, culpabilize. That's terrible French. That's French as well. We guiltify ourselves. <laughs> How do you say that in English? We, uh, we blame ourselves. Blame. <laughs> oh, you know, I, oh, I shouldn't feel responsible or something. It's so interesting that, you know, there is, many of you will have heard me say this many times before, there is no wrong experience. And the simpler we are, the gentler we are with ourselves, with our experience, the more any experience kind of uh, resolves itself into something beautiful. The more experience resolves itself into, into liberation. So even the thought of feeling responsible, oh no, they'll be meditating and there's a tractor sound and then we, and they wanted to I wanted them to have a peaceful time. And then seeing that and leaving it alone, there's, there's a kind of a beautiful quality in that, of letting even that, that thought, anxious thought or feeling of responsibility thought, letting that thought tend towards liberation. Letting that thought liberate, self-liberate. So, by its nature, attention just goes wherever it's pulled. Right? It may be pulled by an external stimulus, sound of the tractor, or it may be, or otherwise, it may be just pulled by habit. Attention pulled to, oh, you know. The examples I just gave, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, commentating on the present, etc. And then we have a practice of consciously pointing the attention. So rather than just letting the attention be pulled by, by stimulus or habit, right? hmm. habit is just going on as default, and then if a stimulus arises, we don't have any choice. So if I... Well, you don't have any choice. Your attention, as soon as there's a stimulus, a sound, your attention just goes there. You don't get to decide. So when there's a strong enough stimulus, it pulls the attention. When there isn't a strong enough stimulus, attention follows the habit. And then practice kind of intervenes right there and says, okay, let's point the attention at a useful object, in this case. Yeah. 
body sitting and breathing. Useful because it's simple, it's unstimulating, it's unifying, it's settling, it's interior, it's natural, it's automatic, and it reveals the fundamental qualities of life. Right? Fluid, like all experience is fluid. Ephemeral, like everything is fundamentally ephemeral. Right? Coming and going according to its own nature. Impersonal. Out of my control. Doesn't need effort. So much of what we're doing then is this quality of vitaka, pointing our experience, pointing our experience. But that's one, that's one, that's one type of, of attention. And then vichara is handling attention, right? So if vitaka can be likened to the way the finger points at something, right? attention follows. Vichara is likened, you can liken to the the way the, the palm of the hand, the way we feel something, handling attention, right? The capacity we have, not just to point our attention somewhere, breath, for example, but then to, to feel into it, to feel the texture. Know in the, in when breathing in long, knowing one is breathing in long, right? To come back to the instruction. And that knowing means to kind of, to... Yeah, to really taste the experience, to feel the texture of breath, to let one's attention kind of suffuse the experience. Or one could say it the other way around equally, to let the experience suffuse one's awareness. Handling it. So there's that sense of getting to, getting to know, and becoming familiar with the object of attention. But equally... Vichara is just as important with all of the other stuff. The other stuff, the stuff that isn't the the focus of the meditation, but all of the the world of habit that arises, the nostalgia or the fear or the um, regret or the planning or whatever it is. So when the vitaka, when the attention gets pointed to something by habit some story I tell myself, some memory of the past. Sometimes it's enough. Sometimes the vitaka is enough. You, there, you just recognize it, leave it alone. You can be simple with it, gentle with it. Leave it alone, re-establish presence. But sometimes it's not enough, right? Some, because it's got, it's got a bit of charge to it. And then needs the vichara to actually make room for it, to feel it. Some couple of you I met with today, speaking a little bit about certain kind of past imprints arising. And you know, the way we recognize a, the, some way in which our sense of self has grown out of some past imprint. Maybe some particular specific event that happened to me, some uh, impactful event, some painful event, or it may be just some general conditioning factors that were there in my family or in some previous situation 
And I see how my way of relating to myself or to life has kind of grown out of that imprint, has become part of my story of myself. Then we either, by habit, we either get caught in believing that story or we try to reject, get rid of, move away from, shut down that story. But actually the vichara invites us to to kind of to get to know it, to handle it. And that doesn't mean getting to know the story. My God, we already know the story. And we told ourselves that story. We've had that story reinforced internally so much, so many times. But it means handling actually the 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 feel, the impact, the the sense of self. Mm. I was speaking with a couple of people earlier earlier on about how that, you know, when the sense of self is impacted by some uh, painful material from the past, very often then the sense of self is one that feels, you know, it feels painful, but particularly it feels small, it feels young, it feels deficient, it feels helpless or hopeless sometimes. And of course, like if somebody we really care about came to us feeling hopeless or helpless or deficient, we naturally extend a lot of care, empathy, sensitivity. That's really what the vichara is, to extend that care, that getting familiar with that handling to our own sense of deficiency, to kind of accompany it, to listen to it, to feel into it, to feel it energetically, physically, to feel the kind of the, the, the shankara, the mind form of it, which we're on the one hand very familiar with, we're very familiar with that deficient sense of ourselves, but because it feels deficient, we tend to either kind of wade, uh, uh, um, what's the word? Wallow, thank you. <laughs> we tend to either kind of wallow in it, be completely identified with it, or we, do, we kind of you know, shut down around it. But to actually kind of get to know it. You know, that, that's so much what deficiency or helplessness wants. It just wants to be cared for a little bit. It just wants to be made room for. It would be so obvious to us if, if somebody we really cared for was reaching out for that kind of uh, care and attention. And it's kind of tragic to see how unobvious it can be to ourselves when it's our, when it's our own feeling of deficiency reaching out for that care and attention. Bichara, like handle oneself. Handling has a kind of patient quality. It's not demanding that something particular happen. It's just getting to know it. Getting to feel the the temperature, the the weight, the feel. Getting to know the kind of the energetic form. How is it in your body? Where is it in your body? Where are the tensions that go with it? So on the one hand, training presence, training a certain skillfulness with meditation. But 
at the same time, it's so important that we stay very um, open to and allowing of the, 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 the wherever else attention goes. When attention goes somewhere else, it's not wrong. It's just, it's an invitation. The moment you notice your attention's gone anywhere at all, it's an invitation. It's either an invitation just to be simple and gentle, drop it. To engage the vitaka, to point your attention back to you know, this object that I was just describing the useful qualities of. Or it's an, atten- it's an invitation to actually feel into the, the, the sensitivity or the hurt or the difficulty or whatever may be there, particularly when it's those past those kind of painful imprints from the past. It's an invitation on the one hand to be, to kind of honor that past imprint, but without identifying with it. It's a big difference to honor one's experience without identifying with it. To honor that the feeling, the confusion, the pain, the, the, the sense of self that goes along with it. You have to honor that if you're going to approach it, if you're going to care for it, if you're going to handle it. But you don't need to identify with it. So when we identify, we actually believe the story as the whole truth. So while on the one hand we're handling that, that imprint, there's also a sense of recognizing it's not the whole truth. It's just, it's a past imprint. It doesn't need to define the current reality. The past imprint tells me I'm, you know, afraid, hopeless, helpless, deficient, small, confused, unworthy, whatever it might be. And you can honor that, handle it, listen to it. Meanwhile, current reality isn't telling me anything of the sort. Current reality is telling me everything's fine. Body's working, more or less. Conditions are pretty, seem pretty trustworthy and safe. People around me are kind of caring and okay. They're feeding me a few times each day. <laughs> so on the one hand, you're honoring the imprint so that you can move towards it and handle it. On the other hand, kind of grounding oneself in current reality that allows the imprint to be held and handled and fundamentally allows it to be digested, resolved. But resolved in its own time, not resolved because of my agenda to fix it or solve it. Resolved by itself, to self-liberate as I attend to just the, the handling, the familiarizing, the tasting. That's, that's really where the, what I was just calling the invitation of our practice arises. Right? In that kind of, it's not really a choice point, but, but that, you know, when anything arises, it can either entangle us or it can liberate us. And that's in a way what our practice does. Our practice meets experience at its arising or 
maybe we get there a bit late in the day and it's already arisen and it's already had a bit of a, you know, hurrah to it, a bit of a drama to it. But at some point, to, when you bring your attention, you vitaka, you point yourself there, vichara, you start to handle it, there's that intervention to see where's this leading? There's no wrong experience. But any experience can lead us into entanglement or can lead us into a free relationship. The fact that an experience may be painful isn't itself, doesn't make it a wrong experience. We've kind of been conditioned, understandably, to kind of want to be as comfortable as possible, have things be as pleasant as possible, and therefore, there's a kind of uh, wish to kind of just move away from the uncomfortable. But the uncomfortable can be liberating. Like you were saying about just being with physical discomfort. Right? Once it's too much, it's too much. So you move. But before it's too much, the willingness to just to meet discomfort there and to see how, oh, there's the pull towards entanglement. And here's the possibility towards liberation, free relationship. And similarly with those things from the past, right? It can be, and it may be something that happened to me that's painful. It may be equally something that I've said or done that I now recognize really was unskillful or unhelpful or unkind or insensitive. It was driven by my own reactivity and I let that in, and I handle it. Oh. And the handling it is liberating. It's kind of a, it's resolving, it's digesting. You get to metabolize whatever backlog of material there is. Because that's what shows up from the past. It's undigested material. If, stuff, if, the, if, the, if the material from the past has been metabolized and digested... It's lost its karmic momentum, we might say, in Buddhist language. There's no reason for it to show up. And if it does show up, it's just some little memory. Oh, that thing that used to bother me is gone. If it shows up with more charge than that, it's because there's something undigested in it. But then, oh, handling it, sensing into the, the hopelessness or the deficiency or the, or the regret or the sadness or whatever it might be, gives it the opportunity to be met, to be cared for, to be digested. Gives it the opportunity to tend towards liberation. And uh, you know, I think given that you know, I've been hearing from some of you, and no doubt it's there for, for, for some that I haven't heard from also. Given that, you know, the material of our lives could certainly can just kind of show up, material from, our, from the past can easily show up in this kind of environment. Just helpful and uh, reassuring, maybe soothing even, maybe, hopefully. To see that, that it's not a wrong experience, it's not something we have to get past, it's not something we have to do away with, it's not something we have to let go of. Right? It's, it's an invitation, it's an invitation to, to handle. 
You handle your experience. You feel into your experience. You taste your experience, your company, your experience. It will do the letting go. It will self-liberate. Right? Like we were saying yesterday, letting go is an active uh, verb in the grammar as if letting go, emphasis on the go, please. Right? Actually, anupadana from the Pali, non-clinging. Non-clinging doesn't apply getting rid of. Actually, non-clinging. If we're not clinging to any agenda of whether this should or shouldn't be here, then there's the willingness to go into it, to explore it handle it. Letting go, I think, is another unhelpful construction. Especially when things are difficult, we might be better off with the language of letting be rather than letting go. And then the third quality right, of attention, so bitaka, the pointing, bichara, the handling, and then viveka, might using the same imagery of the hands, we might call it embracing. Vichara is that kind of wide open, spacious attention. And just, you know, when, as we're, the more simple and gentle we are with experience, the more willing we are to meet Pitaka and explore Vichara, experience as it arises, the more our attention tends towards a kind of spacious allowing of. It's all just moving through. He just wants some care and attention. It's just a past imprint. It's just a momentary anxiety. It's just a habit of commentary, description, analysis. Vichara sees, oh, it's just this. And Ajahn Samedo's famous line, right now, it's like this. Right now, it's like this. That's the way Vichara, the Viveka meets experience. Whether I like it like this, or I don't like it like this, or think it should or shouldn't be like this, well, that's really, really secondary. Right now, it's like this. So we make room for it as simply and as gently as we can. And when we find that despite our intention to be simple and gentle, we've nevertheless got a little complicated and fraught, well, then you be as simple and gentle as you can with the fact that you've gotten complicated and fraught. That too isn't a wrong thing. It's just passing through. It's just the habit. So, I offer these reflections in the service of us attending, attending wisely, attending kindly, attending simply and gently, making room for the material of our lives and experience and habit while we kind of train also these qualities. Oh, please continue to practice like this, friends. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.